I gave a talk and I had a picture of um, Hans von Balthasar up on the screen while I was talking, and I says, uh, and I says, oh wow, this is gonna be a long <laughs> podcast, guys. I'm so sorry. And I was like, you know, Hans here, everyone's great grandfather. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so you didn't say everybody's favorite grandpa, ba- old grandpa Ballsy? Old I was, Ballsy. I was gonna call him Old Ballsy, but there was a priest in the room. There were two priests in the room. Wouldn't yeah, have stopped yeah. me, Luke. Wouldn't have stopped <laughs> me. That's why I'm not gainfully employed. I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, well, you work for the church. That's why you're not gainfully employed. Mm. Mm. I'm gayfully mm. employed. As in, I should like my job no matter what. I hate it when they but bring the, that up. Like, the blah, blah, blah is, is the, the satisfaction of your job. I'm like, no, that's just you being unjust. <laughs> Right. If if I say that's the satisfaction of my job, that's that's virtuous and good and beautiful. If you say it's the virtue of my job, there's a lack of justice in your evil. Really uncomfortable. My, I have nothing on the agenda. I just want to be here. Well, I'm just happy to be able to talk with you, Father. It's been like a month. You guys talk that been, often? Ha- Why do you guys talk that often? How? <laughs> why, are you, why are you talking to people who aren't Gomer? Yeah, that seems weird to me. You guys, <laughs> you guys talk about like metal, Christian rock and roll. No, no, we just about you. Oh, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, uh, and your uh, white, white legs. <laughs> Coming up next on the agenda, Gomer's white legs. Watch out, they're rippled. <laughs> like Ruffles uh, potato chips. <laughs> like Ruffles potato chips. Don't you so sigh? Say, they are fearfully save, and wonderfully made. Save the queen. Who's the queen? I'm the queen. No, you're not. <laughs> uh, this has been uh, Catching Foxes quotes The Simpsons with the guys from the Threshold pod- Podcast. I'm your host, Luke. With me is, as always, is Gomer. Say hi, Gomer. Hello. And we're here with the guys from the Threshold Podcast. Did I pronounce that right? The guys are Threshold Podcast. Uh, let's go with both. Uh, yeah, you did. You did pretty good. Your your you know your emphasis was off on one of the words, but uh, uh, well, let it slide. Thank you. Yeah, well, we tried. Have a good night. I thought it was one. fine. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. So, um, <clears throat> sorry, something caught my throat, which is really good for podcasting without a cough mic. I will cough button for your mic. Is this uh, another thing I have to buy for you, Luke? Oh, shut up. Yes. Uh, <laughs> uh, <Absolutely. laughs> that and our Matt Fred cutout board thing. Um, yeah. For cuddling? No, we... Well, I mean, so we have whoa, a, whoa, 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 whoa. We're whoa, not against well. cuddling with it, but it's not principally for cuddling. <laughs> That's what the body yeah. pillow is for. Yeah. So we're going to be at Encounter in... They came out with a Matt Fred body pillow? <laughs> you just like you just like squeeze it and it's like good day. Um, <laughs> so you guys, uh, you guys have encounter coming up? Yep. Yeah, yeah. And we thought it'd be really so you know how like groups have like a big Pope Francis life size cutout board thing? Yes. We thought it'd be cool to have one of Matt Frad. So can I talk to you about a plan I've had for a long time in regards to cardboard cutouts of people and something I'd love to see happen? Go on. I don't I don't know that I'll ever make it to Rome. Like, I mean, I will, but I don't know that I'll ever make it to a room with this Pope. Um, so I have this plan where rather than getting a picture of myself with a cardboard cutout of Francis, I'd like to get a cardboard cutout of me made and just try to work it up the Episcopal chain. Like like uh, our, our pastor, Father Brad, speaker for clergy. That's just a step away from the bishop who's an archbishop. So get Father Brad to take a picture Watch with out. it. 
get the archbishop to take a picture with it. The archbishop gives it to a cardinal. The cardinal takes it to Rome, gets Francis to take a picture with a cardboard cut out of me. This sounds like a pyramid scheme. <laughs> and well, somehow I just for every picture money. they take, I, yeah, I, I get more and more and more and more. Right, so he does have to pay for it. It's not free. Isn't it weird when I that when I heard you say the train, my first thought was, "Come on, ride the train and ride it, choo choo." Nope, Quad City know, DJs, I don't know baby. What else you would think. Yeah, Quad City yeah. DJs, baby. So, all right. oh my God, is that are they the same guys that did the Space Jam soundtrack song? I think so. There was a, wait. What was the Space Jam soundtrack song? We got the jam. Take it to the slam. I don't know. Mm. <laughs> Space Jam. I'm I'm just making singing Space Jam now. So um, back to ahead. the point. Who are you guys? And you guys want to introduce yourselves to everyone out in podcast listener land? Yeah, sure. Hey, I'm Father Colin Parrish. I am the uh, smaller co-host on the Threshold Podcast. <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and assume that comment was about my weight. My name is Tony Vicenda. I make up approximately three quarters of the Threshold Podcast by poundage alone. Uh, I uh, uh, yeah, so I do all the interviewing, and uh, I sit down and talk with somebody about what they believe, why they believe that, and why that matters in their life. And then I sit down with my good friend. Father Colin Parrish here, and we talk about it for a little bit afterwards. It's something called a threshold conversation. It's from uh, it's from Sherry Waddell's book, Forming Intentional Disciples. I don't I don't know if you're familiar with that uh, either of you guys. We've uh, mentioned no, it once or thrice. Uh, I've not heard that overused buzzword at all. Right. Threshold. Um, <laughs> yeah, I know, right? Yeah. Threshold. One of the words buzzword? that don't say all the time, right? We we took we took one of the four words in the book. <laughs> that aren't used as a just continual buzzword. I'm actually and, really uh, happy about that. Thank you. We we turned it into that. Yeah. Hey, I'm, so, I'm going to make a podcast called in, just intentional. <laughs> and that's it. It's just and I'm going to gouge my eyes out and go, enough is enough. All right. So what is, what are you guys, we'll get back to what our podcast is about in a second. What, okay. uh, what are you guys least favorite? I'm taking over now. What are you guys least favorite uh, buzzwords in the, in the church right now? Well, intentional the disciple life. and missionary a discipleship. Are they tied? I'd be, I would be so happy if I never heard those words again. Right. I love okay. I love the idea. I like love the idea. I'm just so sick of hearing but it. But what would you what would you call it instead of a missionary disciple? Oh, I have no no no. There isn't anything else to call. Like I, I have no idea. It's just like the word. It's I, like how a lot of people hate the word moist. They just don't want to hear it. Oh Ugh. man, I used the word moist in my talk last night to young adults. I you said nice. I was asked to talk about spiritual dryness. So what's the opposite of spiritual dryness? Spiritual, spiritual moist, moistness, becoming spiritually moist. Yeah, and uh, everyone, everyone collectively cringed. And I said, "What's wrong uh, with moist?" Was your object lesson to bring a bunch of towelettes and at the very end be like, "Guys, we're just going to rebaptize ourselves right now with these moist towelettes"? Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, I'm not. Right, so I'm not a baby boomer. I don't do hokey stuff like that. <laughs> oh, <laughs> it's true. Hear that, Father Tom? I'm just kidding. <laughs> They've been through enough. They only inherited the world's greatest economy. <laughs> right. Think about the burden of that. All they could do was fail. They had nowhere to go. That's they had true. nowhere to go. That's such, true. Such I mean, a burden. Oh, it's a suffocating experience, you know. <laughs> the world's greatest economy, where we shun half half the half the population and a and a portion of the minority population as well. Oh, buying a house at the age of twenty two because we can afford it. Sorry, not so, that angry. <laughs> so I was at a, I was at an event this week uh, called the National Dialogue. Uh, that was basically a room full of baby boomers and with a uh, probably congratulating, a, them, congratulating no, themselves and in 20% millennials 
in the room just kind of mixed in like like little little sprinkles of joy uh in in the group and the tension between the two groups not not individuals right but but in their perception of what what the conversation should be about and the entire three-day experience was what should this conversation be about um <laughs> was uh, was very real and very present um and that's still somehow a sign of hope uh, but um uh, yeah, was, what do you mean? Very, what do you very, mean? It was very real and very present because I feel like you went buzzword on me. Uh, well, it's really about the authenticity of the millennial experience. No, um, what I really mean by it was present was the people who came in the room as bu- boomers were very comfortable with the fact that this was going to be a bureaucratic, strategic, abstract conversation, yeah. and the millennials were basically, well, like, are we going to talk about Jesus and are we going to pray? And how are we going to do that? Oh, uh, the because spirit of Luke Carey was present. <laughs> yeah, oh, I, I thought I've about already Luke zoned out. <laughs> Luke was silently in the background getting ready the uh, the dumpster fire. <laughs> and, and when they asked me who should be around the table who's not here, I, I actually went around to everyone's sheet and wrote Luke's name in oh, uh, at the bottom of it. Oh, uh, the Holy Spirit will forever, forever be uh, depicted as Luke Carey putting a match into a dumpster. <laughs> and you're like walking away going, I just like lemonaded this shit. <laughs> just walking away saying, hope there's no consequences in the real world about things I say on podcasts. <laughs> uh, yeah, see, I, I could pretty much get away with that because no one who would take offense to that is going to ever listen to you guys' podcast because mm. they, they don't know how to download one. You know what's amazing is, well, number one, we have uh, a woman who's a baby boomer who literally donated money to us on Patreon. Thank uh, you. A great amount, and she has to be remain anonymous. And she just said, I'm a baby boomer who loves your show, and I highly recommend it. And I was like... Wow, we really do have a lot of rhetoric against baby boomers. The last, like, maybe, what, five episodes or so? We keep bringing it up. Uh, <laughs> it's and, just, I mean, and, it's And apparently just it gets us paid. <laughs> yeah. um, we actually, we're talking, uh, my, my co-partner at Project YM and I, for NCYC, we're going to actually make buttons that identify what uh, generational cohort everybody's a part of so we don't have to actually interact with each other. We can just silently judge each other from afar. I just want a name tag that just says ASL on it, and then people have to, they just walk up and they have to answer that question. I just want to go with a name tag that says, this is all pointless. Luke is so jaded. <laughs> yeah, so... I'm the edgy one. No, I'm just kidding. That's, that's, not, that's not what I want to do. Isn't it, though, Luke? Isn't it? <laughs> Maybe at NCYC. Did you, did you write that down in your composition notebook with, like, a little doodle around it? Like little knives, like, like I'm, I'm, so- I'm so edgy, <laughs> and then like this really wicked looking knife that maybe with has a little the, bit of poison. With like the weird S like symbol that we all, that people used to write back in the 90s. <laughs> it's so pointy. <laughs> My microphone is, is so hip. Making me mad, so sorry guys if it sounds weird. Well, um, well Luke, maybe you should get a boom arm. Well, I have not had a chance to do anything when I like, got home. Luke, did you not I, hear them setting up for 45 minutes of our precious time tonight? You okay, totally no, no. could have taken advantage. Do you want to go in? Do you want to go through Aaron's room while she's trying to sleep to go and get the boom arm? Because I don't. Actually, yes, I do. And don't ask me why. <laughs> that's 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 so I had I got a. Um, if I were to do that I, <clears throat> so that's that, that was weird if i were to do that i would get a text from her where she would actually i'm gonna use my name in the text which is one of the things that i've realized scares me the most in this world 
<laughs> That's the sign of your that wife number. saying your name in like in a text message because it means she means business and she's pissed. Oh man, you know? she is pissed. She is pissed. It, what was what was on our agenda? I, I totally spaced on that part. Well, so wait, was, wait, wait, wait. Let's, that was I, a joke. I do want to talk about real quick. So the threshold podcast is your approach to national dialogue. No, it's your. Um, <laughs> It's, it's uh, basically you're... about the new evangelization uh, and creating intentional missionary discipleship so that Lake Cleo <laughs> Ministry uh, can really enter into coworker uh, synergy, relationship. In the synergy. Someone you are uh, speaking my language, and I'm dead it's, inside. It's, it's all it's all about intentional strategy mm. uh, and authenticity. Mm. Um, no, so the threshold Exposed podcast. Walls. Uh, so the threshold mm-hmm. podcast. It, it's actually it's actually kind of a fun story. So I, Father Parrish and I, when he was just um, Deacon Colin Parrish, we're talking about doing a podcast, and I really wanted. To do one with him on just like culture, because Father Parrish actually knows things about culture, and I know things about like uh, like video games and ministry, and ministry uh, experience. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I thought it'd be really fun to sit down and actually just talk about the good and the true and the beautiful things we were encountering, and that we should develop a format for that. But I, I didn't have time to wait for him to get comfortable being a priest, so I was like, I'm going to start this other podcast, and then when you get comfortable. We'll do this, and that was going to be just me sitting down and doing something I love, which is talking to people about what they believe, like why they believe it, and you know why that matters in their life, like what significance that has. And I think there's there's plenty of things in that that approaches the conversation around the good and the true and the beautiful. Uh, but I think we live in a culture where people don't know that they can talk about things, especially Catholics are terrified to talk about what they believe. Um, I think that uh, people really have a hard time articulating what it is that shaped what they believe or even what they think, whether it's about religion or whether it's about just general things that they're actually aware of. Like there's so much cognitive dissonance around what people actually think. Um, but sitting down and actually talking about just very clearly, what do we believe? Right. One of the most uh, interesting really things important. that, yeah, one of the most interesting things that I've encountered is when I'm talking with people who are atheists and their friends say, Hey, let's go get a beer. And by the way, I'm going to invite my friend Gomer. He has a degree in theology. Let's talk. Uh, they always set up these things, and it's interesting because I will just ask, like, what do you what do you believe? You know, like, what's your basic assumptions about you know human nature? What does it mean to be good? Um, creation, you know, blah blah blah. Science, the relationship between reason and love and truth and beauty, and it is fascinating because they've almost never thought those questions out. And I'm not saying like atheists, but humans, but right people. Uh, yeah, people, they never, like, they have a whole collection of, like, a hodgepodge of assumptions. And it's fun to talk to people who have really, like, puzzled it out for themselves. And they're, uh, you know, read and think about things and ponder. But so I was talking with an atheist, and he's like, yeah, I'll talk to your friend. And uh, he'll probably become an atheist when I'm done with him. And so we That's talked. Right. We talked, and it was so funny because uh, he was an atheist who believed in God. And it was one of those things we were making fun of the buzzword of intentional and disciple, missionary disciple and stuff. But Sherry Waddell, one of her big phrases is uh, never accept a label in place of a story. And right. so I just started asking questions and, and she even mentions this, but the guy literally is an atheist who believes in God. <laughs> you know, right. and I'm like, so you're more agnostic. And he's like, eh, well, I didn't really think I was until now. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, so you're saying there's a chance, right? So yeah. it, it, it is fascinating. When, it's really interesting when you get into the conversations with people, how much 
they are unaware of what it is they believe or think. Yeah. Um, some of I, I have some really I've had some really great ones so far. Like we're 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 four episodes in, got four more in production right now. Um, and the reality is most of them, it's people kind of sitting there when I say, so what do you believe? Some of them are already just like that, you know, they're ready to go. They have an answer. Um, but lots of times as you start probing into like what caused that, they're completely unaware of what the source of that is, or there's no evidence of it in their own life. And they're kind of confronted by that in the conversation. Um, or there is evidence that they've just never really considered for what that belief does in their life. Um, well, one of the, my, the first guests I wanted besides father Parrish, um, after he said, um, I'm a cleric, and so you have to do what I want. Let me on your podcast. Was that, that's that's not what it was. I just kept uh, bugging the crap out of him because I just really like the idea, and I'm super uncomfortable with what he tries to do. Well, you were thumping your collar while you were doing it. You can't you can't deny there's a bit of clear. That wasn't my collar. Hey, <laughs> 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 uh, I, I I really do. I love the like the idea of having a conversation about it a, um, after the fact because if you can do that in a respectful way, that's like really fascinating. Yeah, so that's that was it was actually a really good ad because when I do these in person because we'll do them at the parish every once in a while or you know I actually just have these conversations with people like a real a real person talks to other people um, and when it's in a group it's just good to have the space to respond right to just say like. What did you guys receive from that? What did you take away? What resonated with your own life experience? And really not putting people in a place of judgment, just saying, like, what about what they just said about their life, about what they think, connected with your life and what you think, right? Like, um, and it is interesting how many people, like, you were talking about the guy who believed in God, how many Catholics do you when you sit down and talk to him? I don't, right? And we know oh, this absolutely. statistically, right? Right? And I know, I know Lou just loves to jam on stats. Uh, but the reality is encountering that in somebody like there's a woundedness there, like not just for them, but for you when you're seeing it. And you just got to hold that in and just be like, uh-huh, like, <laughs> like, and be okay with that. Uh, but there's other times where you're sitting there talking with somebody who doesn't believe. And and like Brad in episode two, my friend Brad Hudson, who who I was excited to have on, he he's an, he, he really is, I mean, by and large, an atheist. But he would say he's an, he's an agnostic non-believer, meaning he doesn't believe in God, but he doesn't know there's not a God. Because if there's an all-powerful God, that God could have arranged any sort of evidence that might have pointed to his existence to point somewhere else so that he people would have to be faithful. And it's just really interesting to hear something like that come out of somebody who's like, I don't believe, but I totally can't prove it. And the fact that I can't prove it doesn't say things one way or another. Like, and just engage in that. His epistemology of truth is is really based on a really good philosophy. He's just saying, I don't have an experience or any evidence that leads me that way. And it'd be so easy to shortcut that conversation or that point and be like, let me give you some evidence, right? Like, um, yeah. and, and there's a part of me that really desires to do that. But the bigger part of me rely, desires to not just turn my relationship with Brad into a way for me to try to convert him. Like, I just desire to be in relationship with him um, regardless of the consequence of what that does. Like, I just want the compassion I have for him to, and the love I have for him and the friendship I have for him to be something that is good for him so that he can potentially experience Christ through that. And I want God to take care of what his response is to that. What do you think is the easiest way? For me, the hardest thing is listening, right? Because when people talk to me, they don't want to, they want to, they want to debate, right? And I don't right. like debating. I like discussing. But I also don't like listening. I like talking. And so, uh, I don't know. For me, the hardest part would just... I don't want to fight. I just want to talk and have you agree with me. Why can't we do that? Well, 
That's what Dr. <laughs> I think like that's like for that dynamic. It's not so much the fighting for me that is difficult about listening. It's the fact that a lot of times if I come up into a, a conversation like this, um, basically out anywhere that is not on the on the podcast right now, you know, I deal with the fact that like people say something and then they like there's just this kind of un, like deep uncomfortability about acknowledging the fact that we have thoughts about belief or we have thoughts about how we ought to live our lives and that we everybody feels embarrassed about talking about them and so the awkwardness is almost is probably more uncomfortable than any possible conflict that could happen that's the thing i think that's difficult about listening is because i'm like trying to force myself in the moment to ask more questions and get through the the awkwardness of it all do you find as a priest that that makes it easier or harder the what forcing myself to get to or, the or people people wanting to talk about belief and people offer well i've had this experience constantly catholics at least will offer freely offer me all the reasons they don't go to church or you know or anything uh and like how they were raised catholic and i never asked for it <laughs> like i was talking <laughs> with them about like the seahawks or something and they're like no i don't go to mass sorry you know i was like uh like, what's going on? It's, it's Listen, like, I just it's want like to be confession friends. Tourette's. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Gosh. So that's interesting. So it, in that way, it makes it more more difficult, for, at least for me personally. I I actually I do want to ask you a question. I don't know how much you can talk about it, because again, I'll just take this podcast over sometimes. Uh, yeah. Um, sometimes. How how does yeah. how does that compare? To like your experiences in reconciliation, like as I mean, can, like can you can, can you parallel those things? Because you're, you're I, I mean, I understand supernatural grace. I understand like being in the person of Christ, but the reality is like you're sitting there hearing people express that same kind of disconnect. Mm. Well, if if I had thought about that a little bit more deeply before, uh, maybe I would have been able to make that comparison. But as it is, I actually don't experience that in the confessional at all. I don't. That's part of the grace. It's at least on my end, it's part of the acknowledgement. Like this person's coming in here and they're and they're revealing to the Lord various levels of discontinuity, but they're doing it with the humility. If that makes any sense, like there's like they're asking, like they're just saying like this is a fact and I don't like it, and I want the Lord to help me. Um, and whereas, no, well, not in confession. No. Right, that's what I'm saying. Like, like yeah. Yeah, whereas in every other circumstance, people present it as, you know, some kind of just, how do I put it? They, they give their, their, the explanation of who they are just as such a matter of fact that it's their identity. It's just, and I have to accept it. Yeah. So there's a difference between the forums for me, or well, how the things are presented. How long have you been ordained now? Oh, three months. <laughs> super fresh super fresh what's the biggest uh you know like what's kind of going on in your brain from you know oh, i guess God, let, well let me let me ask you this question now that you are free of the seminary mm-hmm. uh was the seminary a good experience for you yeah it was it was a very good experience i mean there's plenty of things that are wonky with it but like what? Not... i mean like why would you say like there's something wonky with it because i'm a young man who dreamed of going into the seminary and idealized it and then i have friends who did not go to your seminary which was uh mundelein but 
they hated it, hated it. And so I'm always interested to hear people's experiences of seminary living mixed with Cristal sipping. <laughs> Back in the kitchen. <laughs> boop, boop. Uh, I'm just going to take a long pull off this right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Anyway, the... Um, uh, okay, what sucked about seminary? Uh, no, no, I mean, no, no, no. I mean, like, what was your seminary experience like? And did you feel like it did a good job preparing you for being a priest? It and- did. I did. I do. I think it did. Cool. The the reason being, the con- concrete reasons for that is, is it really prepared me. I prepared my spiritual life, more or less. Okay. Um, which is huge, which is insane how important that it, like, I... Uh, I also can't remember half of last year right now um, because my memory shot after all the stress that I'm going through uh, with my transition into the priesthood. Um, but the things that really like that really sucked about it was just the social dynamics. I, I really not every at least my seminary was like this, but everybody was really isolated from each other. And the and the seminary itself really tried to like curb that and ameliorate that. But there's just a culture that's difficult to overcome. It takes a long while of intentional kind of formation around that one specific area. But community wasn't super deep at, at times. Why? But I, I don't know. Part of it maybe. Man, I really want to play the blame game, Gummer. But I'm not going to play the blame game on the podcast right now. <laughs> I'm going to save that. <laughs> if you don't do it on the podcast, when are yeah, you really ever going to do it? I know. I this know, is why this exists, just, just to say when, things. When you guys come up in Seattle for your live show. Guys, do it there's no repercussions. If Lucas taught us anything, it is that there are no repercussions for what you say on the podcast. None whatsoever. Branded Vote comes on. If That's the worst thing that can happen. I know, Branded right? Branded Vote gives <laughs> me a phone call. That's what I, <laughs> that's Bonus. What I want. <laughs> Turns out he's a gentleman. But no, like, so... So, for instance, I, I had one friend who very active in his in a you know group of priests uh, in seminary life. Like he got connected, really strong prayer life, all this stuff. But then, as the diocesan life kicked off, it like just it was so exhausting because he felt so alone. And I don't know if you've met if enough mm-hmm. like older priests will talk about their experiences of of you know whether or not they feel alone or not or whatever, but. Oh, oh man. Okay. I'm in a unique situation for several reasons. One is that a, well, look, let me just put it this way. In America, men have no real formation or no real ability to talk about their inner life in general. Right. So you ask a guy how he's doing, he'll talk about work or he'll talk about some of the more, you know, the vagaries of his existence that don't matter. They really don't have an awareness by and large. Um, when a guy finally does begin to open up on a deep level, uh, it's rare. And it's not really that different for a large swath of the priesthood that I've experienced. And so I think that it can be difficult if you want to have deep, intimate friendships with guys. Like, it's going to be, it can be a, a slog at times to feel safe doing that. Like, it'll take a while to, like, let that develop. But a lot of guys aren't good with it in general, and priests aren't any different from that demographic, in my opinion. That being said, I also happen to live with a pastor who's only a year older than me. So my pat, my boss is only a year older than me, mm, nice. which is um, funny because my boss is six months younger than me. Oh, nice! And I, guy, but... and I also live with Tony, 
uh, as a, in the purple room, um, here in the creepy purple room. Where we do our podcast. Yeah. But the other, but I, I also belong to the movement of community liberation, and I have really deep roots in that. And so I have a very strong belonging to, uh, to people around me. And I've kind of learned this. I've been educated over time what it means to really be in community with people, to live more of a common life together. What does that mean? I think people uh, today, means- the reason why I'm saying this is I think people today, like I'm a fan of the book The Benedict Option, and there's like this visceral hatred for it. And a, I don't know if you read that book, but the kind of the point of the Mm -hmm. book is, all right, after gay marriage has been legalized, we truly, 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 no fooling here, do not live in a Christian, uh, a society informed by Christian morality. We are totally post-Christian. So therefore, let's stop doubling down on this religious right, um, focus on law and government, and let's focus on our own communities. And once we build strong communities... Then we can go back and from that place built. To me, that's the whole essence of the book. And I ain't got no problem with that. Um, yeah. Father Parrish just clenched his fist pretty hard and wanted to scream. I don't know if it's because my kids are making noise or if it's because of what you said. Uh, no, I got a hemorrhoids. Oh, there you go. <laughs> wasn't, wasn't expecting that one. But, uh, uh, <laughs> but there's the, this one critique that I read on, um, oh, what's the thing? Uh, first things this guy was talking about. Uh, there is this, especially in the West, and the dude was Eastern. Um, the author is Eastern Christian. Um, the guy said there's a, a, a fetishism in the West about, uh, or there can be, about monastic life and community. And he made the point where he's like, people think it's cool that you got to get permission to take a piss. Like, that was what the author said. And I was like, okay, okay. Uh, all right. So what, what does communion mean? Or community, you know, in terms of, especially your lay movement. Well, one is is like giving a shit about the people who are around you, like saying like, "Hey, who are you?" Like, let's get dinner, let's, you know, let's get to know each other seriously. Yeah. Let's let's have a beer. Let's play a board game. Let's yeah. spend time together in in reality. Yeah, as opposed to, let's set up a commune first, and then everything will be good. Is that what you and think? Is that what you do you feel like the Benedict Option is kind of about? Any, I think that any movement of. Um, well, I'm going to withhold myself on that part, but okay. I'm, going to, I'm going to say this. I, I don't think that's all it's about. I think that part of the Benedict option has been blown out of proportion, but there is this understanding of kind of an insular mindset. And it's hard because like, I've, got, I've got four kids. Like I understand a desire for my children to experience community. I live within a mile of my parish, and I do that so that I can have a community that's, that's enclosed, that I really dwell in and that I'm really present in. So like, I get the attraction of that. And the desire for that, I think the real problem is that a lot of people have taken that further than oh, I think I think the book actually intends it to go a little further than I think is healthy. But I think people have taken it further than the book intended. Right. People have held it up as kind of this banner thing of like, we'll just we'll just take care of ourselves. And when the sinful world falls apart, because we know that, you know, the church will prevail, that we'll then come back and we'll pick up the pieces and screw everybody else. And, and I don't think that's necessarily what it's expressing. But I do think there are plenty of people who found an attraction to that in the ideas expressed in the Benedict option. And I haven't really heard enough pushback on that from people who weren't just completely polarized the opposite direction. Right. People who were actually engaged in the literature, engaged in the concepts, um, who who actually had read the document, right, the book and and wanted to have a real discussion about, okay, well, here's where I feel like there's a goodness to that. And here's where I feel really challenged by that. Luke, what do you think about? What's drawing you to communion and liberation? Like, you've been 
going off about that for a long time now. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, I went to my, I went to uh, one of the meetings, Father, like two weeks ago. So, so did my wife. Oh, nice. So what? What's uh, that, was, that was Tony, not not Father Paris. <laughs> was it? Um, <laughs> hey, uh, I don't know. It's a new well, church, guys. <laughs> Vatican three, baby. Vatican three. The Catholic Church is back, but different. Can, can, actually, can we can we make because I do want to hear this from Luke actually, and, and Gilmer, I think you have input, and Father Parrish will have to sit and, and talk about this. Can we can we talk for a second about the fact that as guys who may or may not work for the church, and and Gilmer and Tony, that our spiritual lives may have a tendency to dominate our wives' spiritual lives and choke them to death. You mean my it, my work life has the tendency to choke out my wife's spiritual life? Correct. Yeah, 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 yeah my correct. Worky, worky life. Not yeah, my spiritual how, how life. My get... spiritual life is a 5 a.m. thing when I wake right. up at that time. That doesn't choke anything out of her. It's the fact that I'm gone for weekends, and I have to leave mm-hmm. tomorrow morning at 5 a.m., and she has to deal with the kids that uh, I, I do not create space for her to have an encounter with Christ in any sort of meaningful way, and I hate myself for it. Literally yeah. hate myself for it. I, uh, I, uh, I did. I had a good conversation with John Bolu about that this weekend. Luke, what were you going to say? Well, mine's different because I don't, I mean, we don't have any kids, but I have often thought, holy crap, if we had kids, this would be tough. And I've seen it, um, you know, and I've, and I've talked to like other, other guys that I know who are within, who are in ministry and just how that is like, you know, especially if you're in, I mean, really any kind of ministry when you're a lay person is going to be done at night. Yeah. A lot of the activities you're going to do, and that can be very tough when uh, you have a family. Just to corroborate some of your what your guys' experiences are right now, I've been trying to describe to people what the hell my life feels like as a new priest. Uh, and I, the only analogy that I can come up with is that it feels like I just had a child. Like that's the intensity of being in this in this ministry and being in this work, how much reorientation has to happen. And so, yeah. That's difficult. You know, people people who have dogs also think they have kids sometimes. <laughs> what? What are you talking about? They're so cute. Uh, no, they, no. I've, they get I've watched him. It is, it the is like watching a new parent. It's like watching a new parent. Figure, like, he's up at night. He's up late. He's stressed out about everything. He thinks he's going to do everything wrong. He brought the he bought the wrong kind of homily writing paper. Um, you know, like, he, he feels like... I mean, it, it, is, it, it is. It is very similar. And I am always kind of amazed and super blessed by the fact that um, there are so many parallel experiences from both of the sacraments for the common good, right? Like, I, I, I don't ever want to, the, the priesthood and married life are not the same, but there's a reason they're organized together. And there are so many parallels that I feel like we have lost, because of clericalism, we've lost the ability to actually just engage our priests in real conversations about how their experience matches our experience and finding those places together. Um, and I, I, that's one of my favorite things about like and what's one of the biggest types of like blessings that I receive in my relationship with with Father Parish um, is just being able to experience that with with somebody who has a different but parallel vocation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> the only thing, yeah, say some more good things. Um, the only thing I was going to say in response to Do- uh, Ross, uh, not Ross Dowd, um, Roger, uh, and his Benedict option was I. I think it's really important, like before, it's just, I'm trying to remember what Desert Father was, it was talking about entering the monastery and then ending the hermitage. But, you know, he, he had everybody who was entering the monastery, like they were required to live in the city in community first before they would be accepted in the monastery. 
because his rationale was that until you learn what it means to be in community with others, communion with others in the city and learn that kind of charity, you coming to the monastery is not going to help. In other words, like the removal of yourself away from society is not going to be a benefit to you unless you're already moving in the direction of charity and love for the person that you're with already. And that's one of the things that's really important to me about, you know, the, I, the reason why I don't always like the Benedict option is because I think that I, I think it's more important to stay in place. Um, and at least, you know, and granted I'm coming at it from a, from the angle of a celibate dude, right? I, I got sent to a high school where that's predominantly secular, right? The Catholic high school is a very secular environment. And so all of them, uh, <laughs> so you now run every Catholic high school yeah. except for those three. <laughs> no, sorry, but you know that's that's all. But because I I I actually bring that up because I think we I think that we need to understand that that's the majority of our schools. So, um, um, whatever point you're about to make is very important. So, go on. Well, it just means like for me the, that I me having a whole cadre of. Catholics who are seeking to do the Lord's will, removing themselves outside of the city, uh, out somewhere, is not going to help me. Well, can they do right? it in the city? Like, well, is... uh, that's a totally different conversation, in my opinion. Uh, like, I totally get the idea of people moving close to each other. Yeah, I mean, I, I love, I love the idea. So, I, I just spent the weekend, the week at this this national dialogue, and it, there were there were actually a lot of good points. I got to spend time with um, Pete from ID. I think it's ID nine sixteen. Are you guys familiar yeah, with that? Yeah, yeah. I had a, had a great mystery to chat with him like about a month ago or so. About yeah. It. So I, I'm, I'm going to get to go have donuts with him in Detroit uh, next week. I'm going to do a thing on Unleash the Gospel, which is another like phenomenal thing that's happening in the church right now in the Archdiocese of Detroit. Uh, but he's so they're they're as part of as part of just his local community, um, not as part of ID you know nine sixteen, not as part of his his parish, which is phenomenal. But really, just some some local people who feel called to this. They're getting into community groups, right? Um, and they are they are spending six to eight months being just formed in community and what it means to be a community, on what it it looks like to live in community, on what it um, on, on what that life looks like, and they're, and they're doing it together and they're being intentional about it, right? But then they're they're actually picking a mission field that they're going to go out and basically infiltrate. So they're picking an, a place that's, that's close to their heart, that they're passionate about, that they want to spend time in. So one of the ones that they're looking at right now is this huge club scene um, that's in their area, right? And just going down there on Saturday nights and being present to people and going out mm. together as a group of 20 to 30, one group's all male, one group's mixed gender, um, and, and just being there and not like, Hey, we're going to be there for a little while. We're going to hand out some tracks or, Hey, we're going to be we're going to try to have some intentional dialogue with people. They're just actually going out to the club as people who are deep believers in Christ, who have a desire to see this place, have an encounter with him to experience him, but just being friends with people, not saying, Hey, like, you know, let's, let's just dive right in that being friends to the point where it's like, you go, you go when the club starts to get, to get hot, right. You're going to go out when, when things are getting busy, you're going to be there on night long and you're there until the next morning at 11 o'clock, people are ending up in the coffee shop. You're just hanging out with people, flowing with that community, but you're not doing it alone. You've got 20 or 30 other people who are with you and not in a mob, right? In, in groups of two or three who have engaged people authentically who seemed attractive to them and diving into that. And he's talking about it. I'm like this, like this, like this is what we should be doing, right? We should be engaging deeply in these relationships with people just because there's this place where we desire 
to, that Christ desires to be, that Christ desires us to be present. And we should go do that. We should go do it and we should do it to the fullest and we should commit to it. And we shouldn't do it in isolation. We should do it as church, like as church, the way the church was meant to be rather than waiting for people to come to our like comfortable ecclesial palaces. Do you, but do you really think that that's what Rod Dreyer was talking about? Like every time I read oh, that, yeah. that or what? No, I no meaning like, we need to form some sort of quasi rural experience and then, and only then like, and have people come to us. Like I, I keep feeling like people keep reading in their prejudices into it just because he says things like we should have intentional community. Oh no. When I say comfortable ecclesial palaces, I'm not talking about the Benedict doctrine. Okay. I'm talking about your local Catholic parish that oh, doesn't shit, actually yeah. okay, go gotcha. out beyond its boundaries. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm talking about me and you and all the people who it's way easier to live in church world than it is to actually go out and be with people. Yeah. Like, I, and, but I see the problem is like the problem with Dreyer's book is it's, it's, I mean, to a certain degree, it almost is literally like communism. I, I don't actually have a problem with the idea, but I know how we as Catholics would execute it. And that's poorly. <laughs> <laughs> and how well, I think, um, oh. wait, Luke, Luke, why were you drawn to communion and liberation? I'm not paying attention to any of this. So, uh, what, why were you um, drawn to communion and liberation? Uh, I think, and so I've only been uh, to one meeting, so it's not like I'm like fully like in this or anything. But I think why I am attracted to it is because it speaks to me in a way that um, really uh, there's anything else that does. Like I like it because to me it seems to just cut through all of the bullshit. Like how? And- what? What is it saying? I don't know. I've driven 12 <laughs> hours in the past 24. I'm flipping tired. Um, so, so I mean, like, Father Parrish did a really bad job defining communion and liberation when I did my interview with him. But do you want to – I mean, like, there are probably people out there who don't know because that's – one of the things about CL is it is very it, – it, there's a barrier. There's a barrier to entry that you have to be willing to overcome. There's internalized language. I don't think any of it's bad, right? It's part actually part of how community is formed, and I'm, I'm totally okay with that. Um, but I think there's a lot of people out there who hear about CL or hear about community, and they just, they don't know what it is, right? So, Luke, I mean, like, I think what Graham was asking you about, like, what what is attractive to you about that? Like, what what resonates with you about about CL? Luke, Luke. Well, that no. sucks. Anywho, Father, why did you join community <laughs> community liberation? I, for me, what it, um, what I was. What I was attracted to was this. I had gotten. Tr- Look, I'm a convert, and so about five years after my conversion, I was experiencing a pretty precipitous uh, uh, decline in my faith as far as my frustration level. And what I mean by that is, you know, I was not experiencing the level of fulfillment from within the Catholic faith that I had initially found and expected from it. Now, I, at a certain, and I started to realize at a certain point in that, after the, like in that fifth year that what it was is that I had turned to a lot of the external parts of the faith to kind of fulfill me and make me happy. And so, you know, the more incense and the more fiddlebacks, uh, yeah, more of that would make would make me feel okay. However, and now and and also, I'm not at all trying to deride that by any means because I'm much more traditional in my liturgy uh, than people would would perceive. I think 
a lot. Well, maybe people just whatever. I don't know what people perceive. He, he, he only speaks Latin at mass. Father Brad's asked him to stop numerous times. <laughs> he doesn't know what he's talking about. Anyway, no. Um, no, I mean, I, I, I am more traditional in my, in my liturgical uh, preferences. But the what I had found, though, was is that I had been using those things to supplement all the internal stuff that I was not uh, letting Christ into. Right. So I, I mean, I had, you know, every human heart is this vast expanse of experience and of question and of desire and of longing and memory and things that need to be healed and things that need to be repented. And I was I had stopped at a certain point letting Christ into that. And I and when one stops letting Christ into that, you you've tried to fill it up elsewhere uh, through other means. And so I recognize that my lack of fulfillment uh, was not the fault of a traditional uh, mindset in itself. It was the fact that I was using more traditional things of the faith to supplement. So I told Jesus, I was like, look, man, I know that um, my this is my issue right now. And like that you gave me the church. I didn't make the church. So this is not her problem. All right. This is me. So like, but you got to throw me a bone. I need some help. So and that's when I encountered CL and went CL when I encountered CL, yeah, it took, uh, there was, I mean, there is a barrier into entry because you do have to become uh, understanding of the language and how things are described. But part of that is because it's trying to get people out of their normal method of thinking about reality, right? Like the old, stale, dry, you know, truisms that we think that we know things, right? And instead, like, there's this different language that kind of knocks you off your ass a little bit. Like what? You... So, for example... Um, the way that the movement will talk about desire, right? So everybody in the church, we have actually a confused language about desire uh, for different for different reasons because of different theologians and different doctors of the church and how we use the word desire. But most people tend to think of desire as something that is a problem or something that is at best, you know, it's basically, it may be good, but it's usually just kind of neutral. And a lot of times it's probably bad. Like I just have bad desires or something like that. Whereas, Desire as more like concupiscence. Yeah, exactly. There, there's a conflation of those two terms. Um, and so, you know, so, but people, because of that, people don't recognize that every moment they are waking up and living that they're making every decision because they want happiness. Every desi desire, decision they they make is to bring more happiness, right? Uh, no one wakes up in the mornings and says to themselves, man, I want to make all my decisions to make myself unhappy, right? Like, no, like that's just that's structurally impossible for a human to do. And so we're always looking for the good life, in other words. And CL is like what is what really brought that home because it proposed that desire is one of the greatest gifts that the human that the human has is that at the base of every desire is the longing for God and that you know that you're operating every day out of this desire for this kind of fulfillment of union with God and it does it through a different kind of language that really makes you think differently about your own life and your experience and it makes you start asking like real deep questions throughout a day on a daily basis like and what, like what are my authentic desires or what? can can i add something yeah really quick to this so i i i think like what really attracted me to it was when i was so like you did this thing where 
you like uh, you like read this thing and then you just talk about other reading. This is what happened at the meeting that I uh, that I uh, did that I attended. And what I liked about the meeting was the stuff that we read. Well, sorry, what I liked about the stuff that we read was to me it really cut to, to the point. And for so long, I think a lot of the stuff that I've been involved with has been more um it just hasn't been incredibly deep it's and like this so like what i liked about this was it really spoke to me in like in a like in a way that spoke to the struggles that i had um directly so there was a part in this book where this guy said if we're not encountering christ every day the other then the faith becomes a burden and I was like, exactly, like, exactly like this, like, uh, that's what I've been, you know, and it just like kind of cut through all this other stuff that I just, that to me was, ex- was extremely fluff. And it was so great to be able to have a conversation that was not afraid to just like go to like the heart of things as, as opposed to like let's do this whole Bible study on like Isaiah 19. Like, I don't want to do that. I want to talk about like, if this is actually real and if so, what does that mean for my own, for my own life? Yeah. You heard it here first folks. Luke hates Isaiah. (laughs) Well, I, I think that like, look, going back to, you know, this reality of, um, Rod in the Benedict option. And what is it that like that, I have caution around is the fact that it, it in as much as Roger to me, to me seems to be proposing this, that his main thesis seems to be, unless, unless we create our own environment that we can, you know, uh, manipulate and can, and can engineer on our own, then Christ will not be proposed in the world or he won't be taken or he won't be believed in. I think that there's a silent despair there uh, that in that says Christ, the fact of Christ and his existence and his ability and his power and his, is not enough in the modern world, right? That honest, that the modern person is not able to, a second despair would be like the modern person is not able to hear Christ, is not able to respond to the proclamation of Christ. And that's something that I'm, I'm cautious about in Rod Dreher is that any decision that comes out of a fear, I don't necessarily want to follow. Um, and that's, that's what it can come off as to me. Yeah. So, but what do you, so like, I, I mean, I totally agree with you on that where I struggle with this is not through much, um, the fear, but just the reality that we're in a post Christian age. And if you're a parent and you are responsible for your kids, is it the prudent choice to even put them in a Catholic school right right now? You're like average on Catholic high school. I, I don't know um, that I can respond to that. Uh, I, 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 I'm a high school chaplain. <laughs> well, you know, and like and like I say that as like a person like who the bulk of my career has been at Catholic high schools. I mean, is it is it the prudent you know? choice? No, the prudent choice is to raise your children as disciples. Like that's the prudent choice. No, I agree, but like but like high school kids, 
the number the, like the most influential person in their life at that point in time is their peers or are their peers. Sorry. Sure. So like if that's if like that's a reality and if they're going to school and, you know, kids are like, you know, like have their phones, they've got like, you know, porn on Instagram and stuff like is it prudent to even put them in that type of like a situation? But here's my thing, you know, I, and I, Luke, I know you said you don't have kids, but high schoolers, they come from middle school students who, who come from children. I mean, it doesn't start there, right? It's not, that's oh, not the yeah, place yeah, yeah, yeah. where, we're, I mean, we're not starting with, hey, here's this new freshly formed human who's being confronted with this. I mean, we, I mean, we, we know this, like porn was rampant and on the rise through technology when we were going through high school, right? I mean, it mm-hmm. wasn't, it, we didn't have the same kind of ubiquity because we didn't, for most of us, carry it around in our pockets. Um, but the reality is, that it was very much a thing. It was a very much a regular conversation in my peer groups. It was something we were, I was confronted with when I went to people's houses and, and other places on a regular basis. And so the reality is so much of what influenced any of those decisions is everything that came before that point. And my big thing is that it's still reacting out of that fear of, Oh my gosh, my kid's going to be confronted with this hard thing. Well, my kid's always going to be confronted with a hard thing. Right. And I, 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 no matter how I shelter them, like, I'm only delaying that, and I'm actually only weakening them by doing that. At the same time, it wouldn't be prudent for me to force my child into those situations. It also wouldn't be prudent for me to completely remove the ability for them to learn how to engage in a way that actually allows them to be a disciple in the world. It actually allows them to live their faith in a way that impacts and bumps up against other people, right? That allows them to actually Yeah, but this is the thing that I, 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 I mean, and I think I... I think we all agree with each other in this, uh, in the sense of none of us want to hide our children from, quote-unquote, the world. But we do want to form them to be good Catholics and blah, blah, blah. And I'm speaking as someone who has four children and opted not to send my kids to uh, a pretty wonderful Catholic school in order to homeschool them. Not because I was terrified of the big, bad you know, kids at the school because i mean hell they're pretty sheltered at our school but the reality was uh we wanted to we wanted to be responsible for our kids education as much as humanly possible um at the same time we we have friends that are homeschooling and it just made it a super easy decision for us Uh, my wife's a stay-at-home mom because she chose to be and in doing this my thing is I keep coming back to this notion of like, what is my, what is my primary responsibility to my kids and to myself, you know, get kids to heaven, blah, blah, blah. We all, I I don't think anyone's a bad parent for sending their kid to a public school. I don't think anyone's a bad parent for sending their kid to a Catholic school or whatever. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is I feel like when we start talking about what is my relationship of the world or to the world as the church, the moment we start the conversation on forming a Christian community one of two things happens. If you tend to be more evangelistic minded, you think that sounds like isolationism. And if you tend to be a little bit more like conservative, traditional family values, you're, you look at that as your salvation, right? Like, yes, this is going to be the thing to keep the gays out of my daughter's bathroom or whatever. You know what I mean? Like all the stories that they say, but I feel like we constantly speak past this like, I don't think the Blessed Virgin Mary and St. Joseph would have sent Jesus to a Roman school and said, well, son, you're going to meet a pagan someday. You, we've trained you and equipped you in Judaism to go out and <laughs> preach the good news, you know, or, or at least to stay faithful. 
you know, they, they raise them in a, you know, a bet midrash or whatever and schooled Christ. You know what I mean? Like there is these like warring elements that I think, yeah, prudence demands it. And prudence is a virtue. It's not just something we pick up along the way. You know what I mean? Like it's a, it's a, it's a very multifaceted issue. Yeah. And, and prudence is, is striking like the godly mean, right? It's striking on the, the path that God really desires in that situation. It's not ubiquitous, right? It's not, I mean, this is, this is the hard thing, right? The reality is there probably should be some people in the church living in an isolated Christian community. There should be other people in the church living out in Christian community in the world. There should be other people who have experienced Christ in the city and gone out on hermitage on solo, right? There, there are all these places. Prudence doesn't demand in that capacity, one thing for all of us. Yeah. Prudence is about the discernment of God's will and hitting the godly mean, right? And I think that Mm -hmm. the problem is we want to make it apply to the one point whatever billion Catholics in the world and say, if you're not doing this, you're not being prudent rather than sitting down and saying, this is what makes sense for my family. This is how we actually are able to raise our kids in the faith. And this is actually just because of the way that, you know, my spouse and I are wired or our community is is written, right? Because it's not just my wife and I. My my kids have tons of spiritual influences mm-hmm. um, that that this is actually what we know allows that to flow. Well, it kind of sucks because in like one sense, we have to reinvent the wheel a little bit. Like we have to try to go, okay, so this is what Christianity has been in the world. This is what it's looked like in terms of how it's lived that really might not be the case anymore. So like, what do we do now? You know, like in, in the sense of every town had a church right, right in the middle of the town and everyone went and you, and like, you know, like, um, like Cincinnati, you know, you had a church for almost every few blocks, you know, like it was a legit thing where people just walked to mass cause it was just down the street everywhere. Yeah. And now that's not the case. So what do you do? And that impacts just like the practicality of your, of your own life. You know, I know people who drive an hour to go to one to go to like one parish because they think it's the only um, good place that they can go to. Look, when I think about my my own role as like the chaplain at a Catholic high school in relation to your question about should we send our kids to schools, Catholic schools, um, the I think honestly the only thing that's really going to help is a uh, a person who really has a deep relationship with Christ, who has had his his or her own life changed by that, and is able to communicate that presence to these children through their very existence, whether it be through word, whether it be and but mostly through how they're actually engaging with kids on their own questions, because nobody is really helping any of these children with the the questions about what's my purpose. What's the meaning of my existence, right? That's all assumed for them. And I think, honestly, like only the Christian is able to walk with with the children, with kids in this way that's attractive. And so whether or not you're homeschooling or sending your kids to a public or Catholic high school, uh, without that presence of a Christian that has had their life totally changed, like, you know, St. Irenaeus of Leon, like, you know, the glory of God is man fully alive. Without that kind of presence... No, no scheme is really going to help, whether it be whether it be the formation of a Catholic high school in the 50s, whether it be homeschooling, whether it be informing intentional community in the city or in the countryside. Without the fact of Christ being enfleshed in a, in the heart of a Christian, I don't think any of this will help. 
Can you write a book that's like a five-step process to do that for everyone every single time? <laughs> it's called the gospel. Oh, six layer gospel. There is, a, there is a process for that, uh, you know, and, and, and uh, you know, the, really the, the real thing is all, all the stuff that Father Parrish has said is great and wonderful, but really, you just need to run Alpha. Like, that's it. Just go to runalpha.org. And, uh, <laughs> I don't want to talk about anything more about Alpha, for the love of God. <laughs> Why? Are, Why? You, are you overwhelmed right now? I'm starting an Alpha. Well, let me put it this way. Tony's starting an Alpha at my high school. Keep yourself sane. And I have taken on, unhealthily, not at Tony's prodding. I have taken on responsibility for this alpha and I am totally overwhelmed because I don't even know what it means to be a priest yet. Cool. I just want to sh- shift this by saying really quick, look, what the hell did I get out of CL, right? It was the fact that CL was a, was a thing like the charism was a thing that taught me that my humanity matters and that Jesus cares about my humanity and about me being alive. And that that's what changes that that's what attracts people to the gospel, and that's what proposes the gospel the most effectively, is the mature, mature Christianity. And that's exactly what kind of going back to your earlier question. That's what attracts me to it is just that is that it's about like my the real day to day existence of of my life as opposed to trying to change my opinion on a, on my on like what I believe. It's it's or not. How I it's not about faith being an abstraction yeah yeah so all right solve that problem i did and, you know and in my next community group video faith <laughs> is all in your head <laughs> well you know and and it's not the it's other a groups. dvd series luke <laughs> it's not that and other you groups. can get it on blu-ray <laughs> i'm just kidding I'm it's not that other groups aren't doing that it's just i think CL speaks it in a in a way that I find be very attractive, and it just I mean, speaks to my heart. I think CL is going to see. Um, I think CL is going to see a lot of direct response by Catholics in the next twenty to thirty years. I think you're going to see Pete, that become something that is not just okay. What is CL? It's this kind of. It's the place where all the hip, beautiful Catholics like Luke and Father Parrish hang out. Damn um, straight. You'll see it become. I think you'll see it become much more common and much more normal because of that. Because it is answering something that people are seeking for that often is found um, in, a, in a monastery or in a seminary or in a place where they're doing intentional religious formation. Not even intentional meaning, but intentional religious said intentional, intentional, intentional. You know, but like, but I think this actually gets to a point that um, uh, that I wanted to bring up earlier. So I actually had a really good chat with a buddy of mine this morning. His name is Nick Frank for anyone. Oh, name drop. Oh, man, I love Nick. Um, hey, Nick. Yeah. Uh, Isn't he cool? Uh he um and we were just kind of talking about like how it's so like like again go back to the like whole like baby boomer and I'm a millennial saying but without going down that road I think a lot of baby boomers they're all like they're in they are bought sold in to the gospel and they aren't ever going uh, to leave and we're a lot of uh, a lot of uh, millennials that option uh, to leave is there and it's very tempting because so many of your peers are not living the faith. And so I think you need to cling to something that shows like, why is this even important? Cause it's very easy to like lose, um, to become, to have faith feel like a burden. Do you, when, do you think they're sold out to the gospel or do you think they're sold out to the practice of comfortable Catholicism? I, I think it's both. I, th- I think a lot of them, like they grew up in a world where everyone went to mass. It's just what you did. Yeah, you know, I, and it was, I, also, 
I also want to comment on that because I went to uh, one is is that I, I do hope that CL becomes something much more common. I also think that CL will die someday. Um, I think yeah. it's a, I think it's a charism and that charisms can die. But the sorry, that's an aside. I want I want something that is a little bit more common at times. I went to this um, Unbound conference on thir- Friday and Saturday because I'm doing high school ministry. So I figured that was the very last part of it. Uh, I didn't go because I had to write my homily and I was freaking out and I left and went back to the rectory. So you were saying you were spiritually tied down by that. Yeah, that was the ironic part. And I <laughs> I went to confession for whatever. So the <laughs> I love like, inside jokes. I would love to be a part of it someday. <laughs> what, I, whatever. I that, I you guys are the worst. <laughs> I was about to say, is this Drink. what it's like to listen to our podcast? <laughs> it totally is. And it sucks. <laughs> anyway, so I'm at this I'm at this like unbound training, this deliverance training. Right. And there's just a lot of very um, humble people there. Uh, they're mostly baby boomers, and they're serious about their faith, mm-hmm. and they're serious about mm-hmm. evangelizing, at least in the context of healing, right? And but the thing that was struck me the most is that there's nothing about this conference that Flippin uh, is trying to attract you. It's just like there, and it's just honest. And I really appreciated how lowly it was, and it was so beautiful. Uh, to see you, you mean it wasn't movies. trying to impress you. It was just being itself. It was just being itself, exactly. And I really appreciated that, like, with all the fluorescent lights and horrible mics and, um, like, un, like, crappy agenda schemes. I mean, it was great. I loved it. And because these people really, it was because these people were so serious about Christ and in a non-creepy way, just in a, in a very authentic human way. I was really attracted. And they were just normal uh, working to white collar class people that I, I probably wouldn't connect on on many levels as far as like personal interests, but nonetheless, I wanted to be around them because they really did have changed lives. I was really moved by how normal and changed at the same time they were. I thought it was beautiful. No, and, yeah. and, and it's it's so easy to like crap like baby boomers at times because it's like the hip thing to do right now. But I do I, I like I love how strong their faith is. Like the ones that are in are so all in mm-hmm. and it's, I, I think it's, re- I just like at times like that's what I'm pining for. Like that's what I'm like, why isn't this happening in me? You know? So anyway, so I just want to add that in there. Kevin, we, we're not old enough. We're, we're just, that just kind of sucks. <laughs> yeah. You just, you have, you have boomerang B. I oh. wouldn't go that far, but we, we call them boomerangs. That's a thing. <laughs> But the, uh, you know, it is interesting, like, um, someone brought up that conversation on one of these Facebook forums, and she just basically said, you know, are we unjust in the presentation of the gospel is like, oh, Catholics don't know what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And I think um, I've been really reading, uh, going through um, Models of the Church by um, Cardinal Dulles, and the first time I read Models of the Church, I was a, a sophomore in college. And I didn't appreciate it because my model of the church was the one that he dogs the most, which was the church's institution. And as I've grown in my faith, I think uh, Catholics like me more readily adopt, you know, church as herald or, you know, which is more like the evangelizing church. And the thing that I've realized is people who have a model of the church that forms their whole identity of that church, such as the church... um, uh, the church as institution, we really, really, really have a hard time valuing other 
other models of the church, other ways of being church that are 100% either A, in Scripture, or B, inspired by the way Christ lived his life, such as the church as servant of the world. That's not, that was never commanded by Jesus to be a servant of the world, but Jesus himself was a servant of the world, so therefore the church is most like the bridegroom, which he does. But this notion of, um, I think a lot of baby boomers have this, like we tend to foster and project a model of the church that we like, whether it's sacramental or, or the herald or whatever. And when we find a baby boomer who has a real faith, but it tends to be more institutional, and we come out after that kind of thing, like, oh, we don't want a hyper-rigid institution. I want a strong church, but not a rigid, you know, hyper-institutional. I want one with room for lay people. Um, I think that that's, like, might be some of the origin of us, like, not seeing authenticity in their faith. Like, oh, well, they don't really know Jesus because he's more vibrant and alive and all they have is their rules and stuff. I, I do think that's one of the areas that uh, we need to have a lot more humility in. Can I ask you guys a question real quick that is that is off topic from this? Because I, I agree with you, uh, Gummer. But, Always. But the... He's so bad at this. Hold on. I mean, God. You like to, like, touch the microphone. Yeah, but as you my, rub the microphone while talking, it tends to produce... That, I wasn't... I was just putting my tongue on it. Okay. The... <laughs> the <laughs> no. Um, here, here's a question about dealing with people in the church and dealing with society at large is, um, how do you all deal with, individually, with people who leave the faith or the um, who, who seemingly are leaving Christ? Um the reason I ask this is that, or like both emotionally and spiritually, how do you deal with that? The reason I ask is because, like I, like I said earlier in the podcast, like people end up just coming up and confessing to me immediately, like that I'm, uh, you know, like that about all the reasons why they don't go to mass anymore and that they're just totally fine with it. I'm like, well, you know, and it just really gives me a lot of pain, you know, and I don't, I don't lash out at them, but I, I go back home and I'm just kind of like, uh, like, over to my house and drink beer and talk about it. Yeah. So how how do you, yeah, how do you guys deal with the fact that when people leave, especially when they've ostensibly had a real experience of Christ? Mm-hmm. Um, I went through that in high school a bit, where just a lot of my buddies, I felt, and I, I mean, I it was weird because it was never out and out stated, but it was just a little bit obvious that when we would touch base in college, they had just kind of just wasn't their thing anymore. And it was a little, um, it was hard. It was tough. And I, um, I don't know. I really don't know what you do. Cause you know, cause I, I'm the guy who's like, I've been in that spot where I've been so close to just being like, okay, like, it was almost a matter of like, do I come out and say, I think I'm agnostic? You know, I was so close to being that guy. And all I wanted, like one of the reasons why I didn't was I just didn't want to be like hassled by people about it. You know, so I. Yeah, I that's real. That's real. real. Yeah. Yeah. Like I just. And so like and in one way, like it was good because it like kept me going. But I, I really just wanted to, you know, just kind of say this is where I am. And so but please just respect it. Uh, when I when people tell me that they're leaving or they're done or whatever, 
you know, I work in, RC, in the RCIA, right? And, you know, they have all these national statistics about people leaving the church after they spend a year in preparation. And I have ripped my curriculum apart and refashioned it, added more, you know, social community life stuff, all of these relationship stuff. And there was a guy that I used to drive because he was legally blind. I used to drive him to class. And he would send me, like, spiritual, hey, is it, should I be listening to this? You know, I heard this podcast. Is this something a, a Catholic should listen to? And within six months, he stopped practicing. And this dude, I mean, it was, it was an intense experience for him to come to the church. Um, it, and, and that he left it, uh, it, it left me speechless. And I had no clue how to talk to him. And the guy that was his sponsor um, would reach out to me and be like, listen, he isn't coming to Mass anymore. Will you do something? And I'm like, I, I can't literally do a single thing. Like, he used to go to 6 a.m. Mass on Wednesdays and then attend the Bible study um, right after. And, like, he did so much and uh, and then he just walked away from it all and won't return my phone calls and won't return anyone's phone calls. And you're just like, what? I mean, you've you've literally tasted and seen. And you you know that this is not like you, you weren't happy. And now you were happy and you had community. What what is happening? And uh, yeah, I, in terms of how to deal with it, I deal with it by losing my damn mind and crying over these people. Yeah, because uh, that, that's helpful, actually. Keep going. Yeah, because I love them and I don't want them to be one separated from Christ right now or two separated from God for all eternity. And mm-hmm. I don't I don't I mean, I do believe in hell. I do believe people go there and I I don't want so I don't want anyone becoming Catholic because I gave a, a good bunch of talks and they got converted because of a bunch of talks. Right. And it was easy to be in the class because, you know, I'm a good speaker or I'm funny or whatever. And these are things that I really do stress about. I mean, like, all right, okay, Gormley, you've told a lot of jokes. A lot of people have liked the class. Now you need to stop doing this and do more prayer. Like, I have to intentionally do that because I'm terrified that I'm going to be leading people closer to me and not to Christ. Like I did when I was a youth minister. Like, I, used to, I mean, that was so hard being a life teen youth minister, drawn in all these kids having great relationships with all these kids and then fearing it's all about me. It really, like I've made this ministry about like bringing kids closer to Mike instead of to Christ kind of thing. And um, so, and watching them leave when they got into college was, I mean, I I still, I mean, there, there is a girl who was a sophomore, no, a junior um, when I started incoming junior, when I started and when she was an outgoing senior, I thought we were in a relationship where I could call her on about certain things that she was doing and putting out online publicly, you know, high school student consuming alcohol and all this stuff. And I said, you know, you're, you're better than this. You don't need to do that. She's like, you think I'm better than my friends? This is what me and my friends do. Like, how dare you? And she never came to church again, ever, 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 ever. And I can remember being like, well, wow, I really screwed that one up. And that hangs over me. Because now I felt like, you know, in whatever way, I became the obstacle. And now someone rejects church because Michael Gormley was an asshole or, you know, whatever. You know, I mean, I place blame on myself all the time. But, um, yeah, how do I deal with someone leaving the church? I I desperately try to win them back in the zero hour, and then I just lose my mind and 
It breaks me up. Here's an interesting thing. And I, cause I, I totally agree. Like there are times when I've been overwhelmed with like the, I have such an obligation to everyone uh, that there was, which within the archdiocese, like I need, they are deserve the gospel. Yeah. Like, and I can be overwhelmed by that. But then at the same time, I've had conversations with people where we've asked, so, um, have you guys heard the whole like 5% stat that like only 5% of the people who attend mass are like actually practicing. That's why like numbers now are so in incredibly low. And we've talked about 5% is actually the high end estimate. Yeah. If you hit 5%, you're doing good. Like, has that always been the case? And now like, has that just always been true that it's always been relatively low. And now that we're in a post Christian culture, where people don't feel the pressure to go to mass, we're just seeing it played out because they don't need to be there. Yeah, Father, Father Brad and I were talking about this, our, our pastor, the other day when we were driving out, that basically he, he has a professor who proposes that uh, basically there's the same percent of Christians now who believe as ever have, um, and that there's just more of us now, but the percentages haven't changed necessarily. And so in any given community, you're still experiencing that same kind of disparity um, mm-hmm. And that, yeah, and today that you're seeing kind of the the devolvement of that as the church loses loses influence. That the five percent, um, you know, they're they're there. You know, if if you have five percent, right? Because they again they identify that as like you're doing five percent. Like that's actually really good. You've got a chance to change things because you've got mm-hmm. you've got one in every twenty people who can influence people. But most parishes, it's one or two percent. You know, um, and that's a real challenge. But I, I he said that to me the first time maybe a week and a half ago, and I was like, man, yeah, that. That actually makes a whole lot of sense. That actually, there's a there's a reality to that that is certainly what I experienced. Because even, you know, when when things were going well at any community that I was a part of, it was really easy for people to be engaged and involved because things were good. Um, you know, and and I'm I'm somebody who really I don't. <laughs> there's some people who seem to almost have a nostalgia for bad church, right? Like that we try too hard and we should just let go of all this, like you know. We shouldn't worry about quality of music or homiletics. Uh, we shouldn't worry about having good ministries that actually engage people. We should just let all that stuff go because the real faithful will stay with us no matter what. I I, I don't understand that mentality at all. But I um, I do understand that there is a, a reality that there are some people for whom no matter what we do, it'll never be enough because they're not actually coming to the table looking for anything of substance or significance. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have to let go of that as much as we have to eschew just taking the one to 2% of people in the pews who are already converted, you know? And so both of those extremes are, are, I think really frustrating for me. Well, and I think too, like, do you guys think we are a little bit addicted? We are addicted to the idea of a Pauline conversion or like the altar call where it's, and then everything changed and my life was not the same again. That once we've I, had that encounter, then everything's fine after that. I mean, I can't help it. I'm addicted to love. Um, man, the, man, you got to face it. You're addicted to love. Yeah, I mean, you know. Uh, no, 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 you <laughs> might as well. Oh, that's it. Damn. That's true. Dumbass. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I think we are, but again, it's, it's one of those things. Like, So as much as that might be a reality, the term I'm just planting seeds makes me want to put my fist through a wall, right? Like, so people who experience, who desire, who are basically just totally comfortable with no evident fruit, like I, and we can talk about 
faithfulness versus fruitfulness. I mean, we can have that conversation, mm-hmm. but let's let's go ahead and know that we yeah we're all there, right? To say there's no fruit, right? You have to ask the question. Okay, like I'm just planting seeds. Okay, well maybe you should be checking the soil content. Like maybe you should be irrigating better. Maybe you need to clear the soil. Like maybe you need to look at something else besides just planting seeds. And look at whether you're actually being a good steward of what God's given you and responding to the gospel call. So, I mean, it's hard because do I think there's an enamorment with that? Yeah. Do I want to do I want to give a talk to parents uh, who are whose kids are preparing for confirmation and those young people about Pentecost and have the doors get busted down by a mighty wind and have tongues of flame appear above everybody's foreheads? Yes. Like, I want that. I want people to experience a moment of deep Pentecost and, and the vain, prideful part of me. Like that speaks to all of us, right? As ministers, um, I want to facilitate that, right? I want to be a part of that. I want to mm-hmm. see that happen. Um, I want dramatic and radical transformation. Um, part of it is because it affirms me pridefully. Part of it's because, like, I think God wants people's hearts converted, and I know that that is a dramatic thing. And I, I really, people at our parish are scared of the term charismatic. They're deeply afraid of it because we live in in the unchurched Pacific Northwest. Um, you know, we've got, we've got the W Western Washington Catholic charismatic renewal center nearby. So we have a lot of charismatic center parish who are some of my favorite, favorite, favorite people. Shout out to Howie. Howie, the man, Howie prayed over, Howie prayed over Gomer once. He sure did. And so where you at Luke? Come on. Uh, so anyways, we've got these phenomenal, (laughs) phenomenal, phenomenal people, but, and they're, and they're, they're again, same thing, normal, wonderful parishioners who nobody ever thinks, oh man, they're totally weird. But when you say the word charismatic, people lose it. And I've just tried to people tell people, like, being charismatic, like, like, since the birth of the church, we've been a charismatic institution. Like, our birth was a charismatic instance. But charismatic doesn't mean a certain thing other than responding to what the Holy Spirit is calling us to, right? Responding to what the Holy Spirit desires from us. And if we get wrapped up in that being tongues— of flame or linguistically, if we get caught up in that being miraculous healing physically, if we get caught up in any part of that, we've all of a sudden started to limit what we're allowing the Holy Spirit to do in our life, right? Also, if we say we won't go there, we're limiting what the Holy Spirit can do in our lives. And for me, that's a huge part. Yes, you can. I just want to interject with saying that what I really desire in all of this conversation as far as like people leaving the church, the char- the, char- the charism of the Holy Spirit, is just for God to let me know that I'm not alone in it. Mm. That it's not up to me. Like I really, I was sitting and praying with it today and I just want to know, like I was telling him, like, you know, you put me in a high school where there's difficult demographic circumstances and then you've given me assignments uh, that are difficult to balance as far as my time constraints and my uh, ability and my readiness for them. And, like, all I really want to know is that you're going to surprise me and show me what you want. Like, I really just want to know what, like, in every every circumstance, what it means to be faithful. And I think that's also what I'm attracted to in people, that it's not, like, fidelity on a level of just simple, you know, card you know, mass attendance, card carrying mass attendance people, but it's, it's more of, I'm attracted to a fidelity to a relationship where people are, you know, um, people are listening and they're asking, I don't know. Anyway, I'm done. Sorry. Mm. Mm. 
that we really will have a Catholic bomb code code, but I would like to pick one one buzzword that it's going to be. I, I would really propose authentic because I think it is. Uh, oh, my dear Lord. Oh, yes. yeah. Yeah. Okay. Oh, so if you, is the worst of them all. You Absolutely. Catholic, you Catholic, good, 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 good Catholic folk out there. If you want an everyday reminder of your universal call to holiness, I want you to go to catholicbomb.co, right? Check out either our phenomenal Barbados beard bomb, our aluminum lotion bars, or our little flower lip bomb. If you enter in the code authentic at checkout, we'll give you that 10% discount <laughs> that you need. So bad. This is not a joke. Uh, I mean, it is. It's very funny and hilarious. Uh, but if you enter an authentic at checkout, you will get a ten percent discount. I, I love you guys' uh, hand lotion. I need to get that again or whatever. The even if you leave thing. it at the bar, even if you leave it at the bar, I know. I know. I was so mad at myself for rescuing it because I I love Anna and I'm because I know it wasn't Daniel. I know Daniel was not cognizant enough at that point to do it. Anna, I was so, so upset. I was so mad at myself the, the uh, next day. You left a lotion bar at a bar. And they they gave me a they they had a package of of um, Catholic beard bomb stuff for me and I left it at the bar because I can't control myself when I'm at a bar. <laughs> it was when they, you guys were doing the catching foxes uh, that Catholic couple meetup and I was like, well, send some Catholic bomb stuff. Did I just swag you can give away? You know, like don't don't worry about it. And he just decided to give it all away in one go. I mean, he's just very generous and he here are all the stickers that are supposed to go to our Patreon <laughs> subscribers. Luke is a very Catholic kind and stuff. generous God. <laughs> Listen, you cannot Slow expect to me to anger, not... Guys, compassion. I do want to do this. No, no, no. Yes. Before you do this. If yes. you, don't, you can edit this. That's fine. I don't care. I, I, would, I would like to end this podcast like I'd like to end our podcast. Uh, and that's what's just the option that I would, I would love to pray with you guys if you're, if you're open to that. Nope, I don't uh. pray. I keep prayer at church, okay, freak? That's what we do here. <laughs> Just kidding. Absolutely. Go for it. All right. Well, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Uh, Lord above, we just come before you, um, humbly seeking your will. We desire to enter more deeply into your presence, God, and as we enter into the reality of our lives, help us not to separate ourselves from you. And help us, God, not to get caught too much up in our heads or in the way that we think that you're calling us, but to engage more deeply in the way that you're present to us in our hearts, intimately and with love. Send your Holy Spirit down upon us. And God, if anything that we're doing, just if it's not what you will, let it fall apart. Help us to seek only you and give us the power when we fall to rise once more and to persevere. We ask all these things through Christ our Lord. Amen. 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 All right. You can follow Hi. Luke at the Luke V. You can follow Tony at. I don't even send it, but check out the uh, slash the Threshold Podcast on Facebook or Threshold Podcast dot FM. You can follow uh, follow Father Colin at Catafatica if you and on, on Instagram if you know how to spell that. You're worthy of following me. <laughs> and uh, if you go to, what, what did we say? Was it authentic? Authentic is the discount code at catholicbomb.co. All one word, all lowercase. Authentic. Yeah. There you go. There cool you beans. Go. All right, ladies and gentlemen, Thanks, this guys. has been Catching Foxes. Actually, this has been the Threshold Podcast with Catching Foxes attached to it. Uh, I'm just kidding. We, uh, we'll see you next week. I'm going to go to bed. God bless you guys. Oh, I should not have driven so early in the morning. We could...
we could just release it as a crossover episode, like in the Foxes verse. I know Pines. Is, I, I know Pines of the Quinas is in the Foxes verse. In the Foxhole. Oh, the Foxhole. <laughs> My pastor today said that he's going to start a podcast. That's the opposite of everything we do. <laughs> and I said instruction you... over discussion. Yeah, I said what are you I'm just gonna... gonna yell at you for an hour and a half. No, Church Milton has a corner on that. I said, what are you gonna, um, what are you gonna call it? Found foxes. <laughs> See you guys.